don't know this, then you're behind the times. The only metric that matters is convenience. Rules apply to you. Suddenly you're an advertiser. This week on Social Minds. We're the first generation to know that we're killing the planet, but we also may be the last to do anything about it. We were joined over the lifesaver that has been Google Hangouts by Alice Moore O'Farrell and Holly Kay, the acting head of Global Digital and the social account manager at WWF, respectively. Now, WWF needs no introduction, of course. It's been an established NGO or non-government organization since the 60s and is still the world's leading independent conservation organization organization today. As you'd imagine, they're experts at driving action and awareness. So what can brands learn from them? On this podcast, we discuss why people are still unknowingly discussing climate change despite all the conversation around COVID-19, what a post-pandemic world could look like, and why NGOs do it best when it comes to lobbying government. We're definitely seeing a trend with younger audiences of wanting to talk about things they're passionate about, whether that's politics, environment, climate. And I think TikTok provides an amazing opportunity for people to do that. All this and more coming up. What can marketers learn about driving action on and off social from NGOs? Yeah, I'm happy to take that. So I'm Alice. I'm from WWF. And um, I think when it comes to marketers learning about our approach, it's really about authenticity. I think our supporters really believe in our mission. So we're mindful of how we roll out our campaigns and how we roll out our asks, as we call them. So we really engage with our audience. We ask them questions, get them involved using polls, share interesting facts um, and stories from the field. So we bring them on a journey with us and hopefully that inspires them to take action, be it big or small. So I'd say my advice would be just really get to know your audience. Like where do they hang out? What do they want to hear from you? How do they want to hear from you? And what level of involvement do they want with you and your brand and your story? So I guess... For WWF International, it's about some people can give time, some people can give money, some people can raise awareness, but we don't really fundraise at an international level. So if we share a petition or a a donation ask, we use a technology called Slide, and that recognises your IP address and will take you off to your national WWF office, um, and that's where they can then take an action locally. And then those offices at a local level can engage so yeah that would be my advice really get to know your audience cool and um i was wondering what what sort of methods of action focused communication and delivery like that um are working for wwf yeah i mean i think as i say we've had some amazing responses to petitions um we're currently running voice for the planet asking people to pledge And we're getting a fantastic response to that. I also think just the power of social media, being able to share stories and show your own communities and friends what you're doing. Uh, So that's a really nice way for us to get out of the echo chamber and reach new people. Yeah, I'd agree. And I think um, for us as well, there's real value in making, um, taking our ongoing campaigns and applying a reactive content strategy to that. So Twitter is a key channel for us in terms of when any reactive news stories 
come out, um, we apply that to our current campaigns. So a key one would be our Stop Plastic Pollution campaign, which we actually recently won a DigiDay Social Good Award for. And it was about every time a new news story came out with a whale with plastic in its stomach or a bird that had died from ingesting plastic, we make sure that we react to that and we link that to our campaigns. And it's just kind of really moving with the news and making sure that we're getting that out on social so people can see, you know, how much of an issue this is. Um, and I think that's something that's really driven action for us and really led to people signing our petitions. Yeah, I would say that's one of the key uh, method for us. Yeah, absolutely. Holly, I'm glad that you mentioned um, social. I mean, on, on matters like environment and health and global issues, what is the impact of social? How instrumental? has it been for you? It's huge for us because we're able to speak to so many different audiences um, globally. There's so many people that need to know this message and it's amazing that we can reach these people. And through channels like Instagram stories, we know that people spend a lot of time on Instagram stories. We've actually started to bring our reactive content strategy into Instagram stories as well as Twitter um, by sharing there because we've seen a really good click-through rate from stories um, of people going through to signing our petitions and so many different platforms we can use and we use them to the best of our ability. Um, Instagram, IGTV is something we've tested as well, which also works well for us. Yeah, I just think it provides us with so many different opportunities to reach people that we otherwise would not be able to reach. Yeah, absolutely. I would just add with the Instagram stories as well, because that's a really good point, Holly. We've tested different um, ways of delivering stories, and we found that about five to seven frames is kind of the the optimum um, in order to get that conversion rate. So it would be great, you know, for people if they want to give Instagram stories a try or test different ways of taking your message through that medium. Um, yeah. That would be our advice on on Instagram stories. Yeah, have to agree. We've seen similar in terms of the amount of frames and uh, they do always get a lot of views. And yeah, it's a great format to use for signups and, and anything with a call to action. Yeah, and I'd say another thing we've just started to learn actually um, through our reporting is that we tend to apply copy and text overlays to our Instagram story frames. And I've noticed recently that um, we're seeing kind of a drop off in attention because I think it's just too much for people to digest at one time. They're trying to read the subtitles of a video, look at the video, and they're trying to read the copy and the text overlay. So we're now testing really like stripping back the messaging um, and making it really simple so people can just follow, listen to their subtitles and hopefully take action at the end around the fifth frame, as Alice says. Yeah. And I guess when you guys are communicating like what is really crucial information, simplicity and making sure it's as easy to understand as possible is key. I mean, talking about important messaging, Theo and I want to touch on what's obviously happening right now. Um, we can't ignore the COVID-19 pandemic. Can you tell us a little bit about how you guys have had to change um, your tax since this outbreak? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a it's a really difficult time for everybody. And we've been doing a lot of work, actually, in the past few weeks. You know, we've got a global audience. So this is hitting people at different stages, depending on where they are in the world geographically, and also just what their personal circumstances are as well. So I think um, our approach to this has really been to look at all of our external comms and our internal comms as well to support all our staff around the world. But we've been reframing our messaging. Basically, we're sort of taking 
a three-step process. We don't know exactly the timing for rollout, but right now we're in the first stage, which is empathy. So really, you know, understanding that people are, you know, in very difficult circumstances, but trying to bring some joy into their life. So we've been launching little moments of calm, which are short videos of nature, birds singing in a meadow or um, a turtle swimming in the ocean, you know, freshwater river babbling over pebbles. So we've been doing that sort of thing to uplift people in this difficult time. But our second stage is gonna be more about connection. So helping people understand that we are all connected and the importance of nature. And then hopefully we'll be able to then go on to solutions because we really believe we're going to come out of this stronger. So we're looking at things like carbon emissions have been reduced because fewer people are traveling, but it's not necessarily that, you know, we need to just do that sort of wholesale. We want to look at the benefits of that and how we might be able to change behavior. Yeah. It's a really uh, considered approach and really interesting to hear at a time where I can imagine a lot of brands are probably scrambling to kind of, uh, you know, work out what to put out and stuff. And it's all very immediate, but it seems like you guys are taking a long-term approach. With all of this, I I suppose it's a good chance to ask you, you know, again with COVID-19, about, uh, you know, the government had come under a bit of criticism for the messages they're putting out and stuff. And I just wondered, you know, if, if going back to the overarching question, if there's any sort of lessons that either them or brands or whoever can learn in terms of, you know, what you've been talking about in terms of driving people action, like how, how do you actually get people to take the necessary steps? Because obviously, you know, WWF do so in such an effective way, whether that's donating money, whether that's signing petitions. Yeah, I think you need to think about a really varied strategy and a comm strategy. For us, it's not just one thing that drives action. It's a variety of different methods. So be that reactive content, be that hard-hitting content, emotional engagement, all those kind of different things have to work to drive action. And I think another thing that's been so important for us is that our our overarching principles of our content um, are all awareness action. So we attempt to inspire people with amazing images of nature. Um, We educate them with hard-hitting facts about the reality of what's going on in the world. And then we ask them to take action. Um, And I feel like one doesn't work without the other. We have to take people on that full journey in order to achieve action. If we don't inspire them with amazing images, if we don't give them facts and they're not kind of there for the full journey, that's how we really, really drive people to take action. And I think another thing is for brands right now, it's an overwhelmingly negative time. Social media, the news, it's inundated with negative news. And that's quite difficult to get away from. And I just think it's so important to try and give people hope and try and be positive at this time. And I think one way that we try to do that is to really personalize our message. So when we share our voice for the planet petition or our plastic pollution petition, we use language like, This is your chance to get your voice heard. These small actions are what can really drive changes in the world. And by giving them that hope and inspiration, we hope that that will encourage them to take action and not feel too overwhelmed by negativity. Yeah, Holly, that's a really, really good point. I mean, when it comes to sort of putting out content um, when everything is so negative, I mean, we've seen a lot of brands try um, and get involved in the conversation. Some of them have done well. Some of them have done not so well. 
Um, and of course, every brand can come across tone deaf, especially in times like this, where people are so sensitive. So how um, how do you guys sense check your messaging? Like, What processes do you have in place to make sure that you're saying the right things, I guess? I mean, the first thing I'd say is we're not going to get everything right. As I said before, everyone's in a very different place. But I think if we're going in with you know the best intentions to do the best we can in these difficult times, that's what really counts. And I think that's what comes across. But at WWF International, we've got a sort of messaging house that we can apply across our comms. So for us, it's really about being sensitive and empathetic, you know, having solidarity with those people, um, everyone who's suffering at the moment. But we're also a science-based organisation. So we've got to be really credible with our messaging. And I think, you know, fake news has been around for a long time. But Right now, there just seems to be a proliferation of fake news. So it's really important to us that we don't speculate without evidence, that we're confident in what we're saying so that people can trust us. And I think that trust is really vital. And then, you know, finally, really sort of trying to be um, solutions oriented when, when we can, as I say, in terms of our process. Yeah, that messaging house sounds really interesting. What exactly does that consist of? So you kind of look at your different audience groups. So that might be you know, the mass public or the media, thought leaders, businesses, governments, advocacy, so like other NGOs or the United Nations. And we look at what messages we want to get across and apply the different tone of voice and type of assets that we'd share in order to kind of meet the sort of requirements of our different audience groups whilst getting those messages across. So like Holly said, with the all aware action, what might be awe-inspiring to the media might not land necessarily with the government or with a business audience. So I hope that sort of helps to explain our sort of messaging house approach. Yeah, no, definitely. It sounds really foolproof, really interesting. Yeah, I think it would just be interesting to add as well, like... As Alice says, um, we've been sharing these calming stories across our social channels. And I just I don't think you can ever be too cautious when writing the copy for those videos, which are, as Alice said, just as dolphin swimming or sea turtle swimming. It's about not kind of devaluing how big of an issue this is and making sure Mm. people understand we are not saying look at this 15 second clip of a swimming sea turtle and all your troubles will be gone. It's about. (laughs) You know, it's about saying we appreciate this is a really difficult time and we're sharing this content with you to hope to bring some positivity to your timeline, but also making sure the language we use is getting the balance right of not underestimating how serious of an issue this is in our followers and everybody's lives. Yeah, of course. I mean, would you say there's a nuance in your tone and messaging then between, say, social and then the marketing that you do in out of home and print, etc? Well, we don't really do a lot of out of home and print being a charity, just because we don't really have budget for it. Um, so for us, social media is and, and other digital channels like blogs and email newsletters are really important to us, because we just don't have those budgets. Really and we've seen that Yeah, there's like, um, I've got a stat somewhere about um, how many people are on social media globally. I think it's something like 3.8 billion or something. So we can reach so many people through social media that our budgets will be stretched so much better and get better ROI than 
any sort of out of home or print. Absolutely. I mean, you're preaching to the converted here. (laughs) Probably one for you here, Holly, from a a social media uh, perspective. Uh, Like Alice just uh, rightly said there, you guys obviously are an NGO. Has has that sort of stopped you guys from getting your message out there in terms of, I can imagine a lot of the activity you probably do is more organic, you know, and while the rest of the industry has seen, I'd say, a slowdown in organic reach, has that really affected you? Yeah. It has. And I don't think um, NGOs are at all exempt from that, from my experience of running the international social channels. We have over 10 million followers across our social channels. We have 3,227,000 followers on Facebook alone. And our average reach per post in February was 101,000. So although we have a large audience and to some brands with smaller followings, that might seem like a large reach our messages are being capped as well and i understand like why that's frustrating for people that work in social marketing because we put a lot of time and energy into building our communities we study hard what works what doesn't work in order to build the best community we can and it can be quite frustrating when therefore we're not getting the reach or we don't have that control over our audience i can completely relate to any social marketer that finds that you know frustrating but at the same time i think it's just about playing the algorithm game, looking into what works, how the algorithm works, making sure you know that off by heart. Another thing we've launched in the past few weeks is our own Facebook group called Team Earth. So we're doing that because one, we want to build our community, but two, we want to have a little bit more control over who sees our content. Um, And we also know how the algorithm works in 2020 is that content that's seen on the group will also um, affect the content that people see in the newsfeed. So there's a lot of things we are trying to do um, to get over that algorithm issue. But I think it's just test and learn and just keep trying. It is just kind of just playing the game, isn't it? Of course. course. Yeah, absolutely. We can empathize with that. I mean, in terms of what does work for you and what doesn't, well, we asked because I'd be interested to know um, what we can maybe learn about people's current attitudes and their sentiment towards the kind of issues that WWF talks about. What kind of messaging do you think at the moment strikes a chord with the most people? Yeah, I mean, I think it's very difficult because of the unprecedented times that we're in. But again, I really think it comes back to being authentic and really people believing in in what you're saying. I mean, in terms of things that are landing really well, we've got um, Earth Hour happening this Saturday, the 28th of March, and it's been going on since 2007. And it happens 8.30 local time, wherever you are in the world. So it's like a planetary Mexican wave going from Samoa right round to the Cook Islands. And I think like this year, it's really different because a lot of the time there'll be like on the ground events, huge landmarks switching their lights off. We get loads of people sending in their videos. So it's a really busy weekend for us as we're sharing people symbolically turning out their lights for an hour to sort of stand in solidarity about climate change and nature loss. But this year, we've had to really change that messaging and say, even though we can't stand together, we can still be a symbol of unity. So I think messages like that really help people 
because it's so easy to feel helpless. And I think when you see other people gathering around a hashtag, you know, in a virtual sense, you really do feel that sense of community. And I think that's really important right now. Yeah, absolutely. I think inclusivity is more important than ever. Um, Holly, I just want to touch on something um, that you just mentioned in terms of your Facebook group and how that affects posts in the feed. Could you expand a little bit on that, if anything, just for my own curiosity, because I'm not sure I've heard that before. Yeah, so I was doing some research yesterday into like why people are using Facebook groups and why brands are using Facebook groups. And it was saying that an update to the algorithm in 2020 was that the content that people are seeing in their groups and engaging with, they're also likely to be served in the news feed, um, which I thought was quite interesting because I hadn't read or heard of that before. I guess it's basically Facebook serving you the content that you like and engage with and seeing the kind of the communities you're involved with. And it makes sense, doesn't it, really? Because Groups is a perfect example of a community that people join because they're interested um, and they've, they've chosen to opt into that. So I think that will be an interesting one for social marketers to think about. Yeah, no, definitely. It does make sense algorithmically, especially because they've been putting so much focus on groups and probably using it to learn a lot about what people are interested exactly, in. Exactly, yeah. No, thank you for explaining that. That is very interesting. No worries. I was going to say, yeah, like we've all said, we're in a very interesting time at the moment, obviously. But uh, I wrote something on LinkedIn the other day, which was basically uh, Mark Zuckerberg a while ago, Facebook CEO, you know, saying that he wanted to make Facebook the digital living room. And, it, you know, that sort of like scarily <laughs> kind of true at the moment it's never felt more like that but I just yeah. wonder uh, one for you Alice the the impact of all this sort of you know um, connectivity through groups through uh, Facebook Messenger for all of these messaging platforms twinned with the kind of uh, current times that we're going through I just wonder when we come out of this, if you can maybe put into context the the impact you think that will have in terms of, you know, how we approach the environment, how we approach each other, how we, you know, begin to kind of uh, act in a more, I suppose, sustainable way, you know, with our social media use. And and also with, with like the overarching question states with how we take action, because you're right, I think so many people can feel helpless, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if only I had a crystal ball, Theo, um, it's so hard to know how we're going to come out of this, when we are, and what the impacts are going to be. But I think the really important thing to do is just keep learning whilst we're communicating at this time, keep listening and working with our audiences and with people just to find out where they feel they can make a difference and how we can help them. Because I think there are going to be huge impacts, you know, not least the economy, how we can make that more sustainable our consumption? Is this something that we can really help, you know, on a global scale to improve so that we're not going to be hit quite so hard by, you know, something like this if it does happen again? I think the most important thing really is to keep listening and learning. And as I say, I wish... I had a crystal ball and I could answer that a bit better. <laughs> massively, massively. And I don't want to sort of dwell on uh, COVID-19 too much, but I just wonder in terms of, uh, well, probably a question for both of you, really, in terms of your messaging, is it the case that, you know, because climate change hasn't gone away, it is still very much mm. there, but are you seeing that these sorts of messages, they have less sticking power or are you probably just not putting them out at all at the moment? Um, well, I think we're, we're in a health crisis, we're in a climate crisis and we're in a nature crisis and we're all connected, right? So nature-based solutions can help mitigate against the worst effects of climate change and people's behaviour has a direct impact on both of those things. So we've got this sort of great sort of triumvirate of things that we can take forward. But I do think... There is desensitisation when it comes to seeing climate messages. I think we do have to keep being creative 
We're certainly not using any images of groups of people all packed together because that's really insensitive. I think there's lots of things that we need to do to make sure that we're keeping people on this journey. But I think kind of alluding to your question, reading between the lines, maybe those climate messages are hitting home a bit more and people realise there are things that we can do, but it's a systemic issue. We need businesses and governments to really take action. And, you know, we need to be the people pushing for that. Yeah, absolutely. I was actually, I was watching a TED talk last night um, from a scientist who was really on hand during the Ebola crisis, who talked a lot about how the way we treat the planet has um, basically caused this to happen in a lot of different ways. And I think if people care about the climate, which they do, using the emotion that this situation is uh, is causing in them is a really good excuse for, you know, organisations such as yourself and maybe any sort of sustainability-focused brands to, you know, not just reassure people, but actually, yeah, like you said, let them know that there is something that we can do um, to prevent something like this happening again. So I think that's, yeah, it's a powerful point. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I think that that is definitely something over the coming months that we will be thinking about in terms of um, the emotional engagement with COVID-19 and everything that's happening at the moment, um, how we will use that in a way that's sensitive and is the right tone of voice, but also could potentially provide an opportunity for us to move people um, into action when it comes to the health of our planet. Exactly. It's like you said, giving people solutions, I think, is what we'll need next. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's interesting. It's something it's just it's sort of a uh, spot in the brain. It's something that we talk about a lot, which is uh, kind of audience lag and message lag, um, you know, that falls into that desensitization category. I mean, I know you, you guys have both said that, that you know, you're uh, active on a lot of platforms. I just wonder how you keep that messaging fresh, how, how, you, how you keep the same sort of similar messages fresh, because I think a lot of brands obviously have a sort of sustained set of messaging, but it's like how many ways can you sort of uh, repurpose that and redevelop that and, you know, make it make it seem still new and urgent and, you know, in, in terms of driving action. Yeah, I think, um, I know we've discussed this, but we are very on top of the news and everything that's happening. So we will fre- freshen up our coffee. We will apply that to really current and relevant moments. And that, in all honesty, is for me, the key way that we approach things that are happening in the world or we sustain our current campaigns um, in a fresh and engaging manner. I guess it's constantly developing, isn't it, in, in this sort of, uh, in, you know, in, this, in the space that you guys work in? Yeah, it is constantly developing. But I also think what we found, I think, you know, to Holly's point about the number of people following us on a channel versus the number of people who are actually seeing our messages and engaging with our content. So I think a lot of the time people spend so much time creating content, push it out once and then move on to the next thing. And actually, you don't know how many people it's landed with necessarily. So I don't think there's anything too wrong with repurposing. And if you've got a clear message, really trying to get that across as simply um, and clearly as possible. So I don't think people should be too afraid about that. But again, to Holly's point, being up to date with the news cycle and reading the room, if you see what I mean, so that, um, you you know, you're talking to people in their language, in their space, um, so you're not appearing tone deaf or just like you say, banging the same drum the whole time. I'm glad you mentioned being uh, tone deaf because, uh, you know, everything that's going on in the world aside, 
obviously the climate is uh, one of the you know major things that brands are finding themselves more and more involved with. And we've been speaking to uh, various people who've said that you know there's a real burden on brands to to help out and to kind of do their bit. I wondered, uh, Alice, I'll throw this one to you. How brands can be involved in matters of climate and health and nature and not come across tone deaf you know do, do they have a right to sort of be spreading these messages and you know yeah I think it's a really good question Theo um it's, it's all about like getting the affiliation right it's a little bit like when you go out to influencers and they might not have anything to do with your brand or use it it doesn't fit with their brand and I think it's the same thing you need to have that proper affiliation so rather than kind of shoehorning your message into a climate or sustainability box that's when you get accused of greenwashing so i think you know the brands need to kind of walk the talk if you know what i mean to make sure that what they're doing and how they're actually helping to improve the environment or their processes or their supply chain i don't know if you've ever heard of b corp b corporation it was set up in the us and it lets brands sort of fill out. It's quite a, a lengthy process in terms of you've really got to dedicate your, your time to it. But for instance, there's a, a shoe brand called Allbirds and they're a B Corp and they're just fantastic. All of their supply chain, all of their um, products and materials are all sourced really sustainably. They can authentically uh, work in that space. And I actually saw during this um, COVID-19 pandemic, they were offering free shoes to NHS staff. Um, They just had to get in touch. And that just, that genuinely comes across to me as a genuine brand reaching out in a time of crisis. It really is a time to show true colours, isn't it? Yeah, I think the the challenges as well for brands who... um, sustainability and environment isn't the core of their product or their brand how do they talk about issues of environment and sustainability in an authentic way and I think it's as Alice says you can't you know the messages that you give to the public that you care about the environment and you care about the planet you know people are skeptical and I think brands need to think as if they're a skeptical person um they can easily go to your website and if they don't see any of your company's internal values which relate to the environment or sustainability they might start to question is this just something you're trying to jump on to gain reach or is this something that you really care about so think skeptically and make sure that you're portraying internally as a company whether that be on your website your values your training everything what you are expressing to the public in your campaigns. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely uh, not worth doing it just for reach because people will find out. Um, Sort of touching on reach, Holly, I'll throw this one to you. In your opinion, from what you guys do on social, do you think organic social is really dead? Because NGOs like yourself seem probably more equipped than most brands, um, what with not having a massive budget to spend on paid. Yeah, I think that organic social needs to be complemented with a paid social strategy that is my belief um from what we've seen on our channels facebook instagram particularly we have been our reach has massively been capped it's really really important especially in terms of reaching new audiences so you're not just in that echo chamber of people 
that you do um, think about your paid social strategy and you get your message further than just the people that currently follow you. you really need to kind of drive conversations with different people and paid social is a key way to do that. I don't think that necessarily means that every single piece of content you post has to be complemented by a paid social or boosted. But I do think that if you're operating as a brand without thinking about paid social, incorporating that into your strategy, then that is a mistake. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we'll not advocate boosting every post at all. Um, <laughs> so not what really about... Um, world. <laughs> yeah, I know. What about then outside of the Facebook bubble? Because we know Facebook and Instagram are massively clamping down on organic reach, but the same can't be said for other platforms um, like TikTok, for example, is obviously quite, well, quite new on the scene and is making it really easy for people to grow uh, without spending any money at all. Is that something you guys are considering? Uh, yeah. Yeah, we've actually, um, <laughs> sorry, we've actually like debuted on TikTok with Earth Hour yeah. that I was mentioning, which has been really great. So it's actually, it's the at Earth Hour handle and we're going to migrate over to WWF when we've um, uh, finished with Earth Hour. But yeah, I mean, it's just, it's such a fantastic way to create content. I think they it's a really level playing field. Anybody can join in and there's so much creativity from people in terms of how they're viewing, um, you know, not just our messages, but messages in general about sustainability and climate change. I think that TikTok is going to be a key platform for the environmental conversation. It's just I think the way that especially a younger audience want to use social is um, they want to use it immersively. They want to create their own content. And TikTok allows you to create content in your own immediate environment. And I think that's so important for social moving forward. Having that sophisticating video editing suite kind of just at your fingertips where you don't need to go to a certain location to create your content means that it's so inclusive and so many more people can be involved. And I think we're definitely seeing a trend with younger audiences of wanting to talk about things they're passionate about, whether that's politics, environment, climate, and they want to use social to do that. And I think TikTok provides an amazing opportunity for people to do that. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I mean, even this week, while everyone's been working from home, TikTok has, again, surged in the uh, app charts which means more people are turning to it uh, than usual, which is saying something. So now might be the perfect time to use it. I'm glad you touched on younger audiences because uh, obviously Gen Z loves TikTok. Um, and like you said, they're also known to be very passionate about environmental issues. I wondered from just like your content and, and what you guys know, is it true that this generation is uh, more impassioned than others? And like, are they... Um, are, are they, I guess, as, as passionate on social as the research would suggest? I mean, yeah, I'm happy to take this one. It's such an interesting area for us because I think, you know, every time a new generation reaches their sort of potential, if you like, we're always looking at ways to talk to them. And I think, you know, I do think they're more passionate. The way that we look at it at WF International is we're the first generation to know that we're killing the planet, but we also may be the last to do anything about it. So I think Gen Generation Z are looking, you know, at the generations before and thinking, you know, what have you left us? What, you know, what custodians are you of, of this planet? They want to stop taking fossil fuels out of the ground and burning carbon and cutting down forests and polluting oceans. They can see all of those problems. And I think, you know, they're using social media to quickly like share that information and push for change. But I also think what we've noticed with Generation Z is this complete rejection of perfection. 
So they don't want filters. They don't want things to be kind of zhuzhed up. Um, they will see through that straight away. So I definitely think that there's a real passion there for seeing the world as it is and being able to change the world as well. Mm, that's interesting. That, that's a really, really interesting point, Alice, and, and one for you, both of you, because in saying that, it, it is becoming more and more apparent that we're hurtling towards um, augmented reality and virtual reality. You're totally right. We've seen it with Gen Z. You know, there, there is that rejection of this kind of mixed reality. They want things as it is, but those two seem at loggerheads almost. So. Yeah, I mean, I think when you're talking about something like AR or VR, you know what space you're going into. So I think there's a, a real difference between adding filters to things, um, making the world seem a little bit like rose-tinted spectacles, or knowing that you're going into a world that you can escape from reality. So I do think there's definitely still a place for VR and AR I mean, we're actually, we, we launched something um, over in Singapore where you could go into a museum and um, use augmented reality to turn it into a forest and you could explore that rainforest biome um, within the museum. So there's lots of space to move around, lots of things to interact with. I think it's when, you know, if you believe that the reality is true, but it's been sort of warped somehow. So I think it's it's fine if you know what you're getting into with VR it's a nice escape sometimes for people. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that as well, um, younger audiences expect AR and VR and all this from social. If you're not a platform that includes it, you're going to get left behind because they want to use immersive social and they want to see really cool things. And it's about how do you bring that in? And maybe you can even relate that to conversations with the environment. I know certain things um, we've talked about at WWF before is using um, AR or VR to show um, animals and show the kind of habitats and the natural landscape that people might not see in, you know, 15 years time, 10 years time. So it's about using AR and VR and all those amazing, amazing technology and, and making it relevant to those conversations. But I think Alex is completely right. We are in a time of perfection rejection and young people are well read. They know what's going on in the world and they're part of those conversations. And you don't want to make the mistake of trying to cover everything up and make it look amazing and greenwash, because if you do that, then they're going to see through it. Yeah. I completely agree with you there, Holly, and, uh, you know, especially your point about that sort of greenwashing. With that in mind as well, Alice, this, this seems like a question for you, but in terms of uh, kind of climate action, is it a case that seeing is believing almost and that the fact that we are so connected to what's going on halfway around the world has maybe, you know, dare I say it, put a bit of a rocket up people? And I'm just wondering if that's been, you know, another major driver of action that we're not just getting our kind of news from TV broadcast with social and I suppose with you know what will be with AR we'll be able to see firsthand the impact that we're having I mean that must be a massive watershed moment for WWF yeah I think you're actually spot on Theo we sort of started with the fires in the Amazon and then we we're seeing droughts and fires in California the devastating impact of the bushfires in Australia you know, lots of different flood events. We wouldn't have access to these global disasters in the same way in the past. So people are seeing these things and we can actually, you know, properly and authentically um, show why that's happening. And I think we can really galvanise people to take action. We had a phenomenal response to the Australian bushfires and I think the other part for us is bringing humans into that space. 
So a lot of the time in the past, we've just sort of talked about animals and their habitats. But as we're continuing to encroach on those habitats, we're pushing nature further and further to the brink. So using an image, for instance, around the Australian bushfires with um, a firefighter rescuing a burned koala from the bush just resonated with our audience so much because they can relate to the person in that photograph in a way that before it's just felt like faraway things in faraway places. Yeah, that's it. It definitely brings it closer to your doorstep. And it was amazing to see everyone's reaction to um, the Australian bushfires on social. And, you know, it's happening again right now. The way people use social media to sort of aid uh, and amplify charities' missions and NGOs' missions um, is amazing. I wonder what you think the role of big tech has been. So if, if people are using the platforms really well, which we know they are, are the platforms themselves uh, doing enough? Do you think they've been useful? What would bring in uh, new features like Instagram's charity sticker, for example? Yeah, I would say that um, they've done a really good job in terms of incorporating things like charity stickers. People are very passionate about um certain things and they want to be able to raise money and encourage donations and actions by using their own social media and that allows people to use social immersively as we've said how they love to use it um i think a great example is during the australian bush fires celeste barber raising what was it an absolute fortune she i can't remember exactly what she raised i think it was was it around 50 uh, mil- I, I think it was more than that. Don't quote me exactly. 51 but, million, uh, I think. 51 yeah. million, yeah. yeah. It's a lot. And it just shows how important these platforms are for key influencers who have the audience and the opportunity to make a real difference, um, you know, to do so. And without those platforms, uh, we there wouldn't have been anywhere near the amount of money raised for the New South Wales fire services. Also, I know that Instagram's donation stickers and their um, fundraiser on Facebook is 100% of the proceeds do go to the charity. Um, So I think that they are doing a good job. I think one area that these platforms need to improve in is in tackling the spread of things like misinformation around issues like climate, around politics, around all those kind of areas. I com- yeah, I completely agree. It's it's been a, a you know a massive problem uh, throughout the years, um, especially in WhatsApp. You know, and and it's, it takes times like this for us to see it sort of been magnified on a on a scale. Holly, you mentioned um, influencers there a second ago, and I'm glad you did because it was on my list to to ask you guys about this. But um, mm. what you know, what where do you, where do you see the role of influencers? Do you sort of work with influencers in any interesting ways? Because I imagine there is, I don't know if you'd call it brand safety, but it's probably uh, a lot more considered for somebody like WWF to work with influencers than it is, say, another brand because of uh, what you said earlier, Alice, all the sort of scientific information and the fact-checking that's involved there. Mm. Yeah, um, I guess we, Alice, work with a community of WWF Voices members who are actually taking, um, they do a lot of work in wildlife and conservation. So it's really important that the influencers we work with are super authentic and are really passionate about um, the environment and nature and conservation. Without that, I think 
audiences are very skeptical towards influencers. And it's especially important for us to make sure that we are working with the right people. Um, and it's not necessarily about working with people who have millions or hundreds of thousands of followers. It's just about working with people who really care and demonstrate that through the work that they do. And I think that's key for us in our influencer strategy. Mm. Yeah, I agree. And I think what's really important for us is that anyone who's working on our behalf or helping to spread our messages does it in their own voice. So that's why we call this, you know, community WWF voices. We want them to talk to their communities. So I think what we find a lot, particularly with social media, as everybody knows, um, you do end up talking to an echo chamber or in your bubble. And it's so hard with small budgets to break out of that. So that's where we do you know, ask for help from people who've got strong communities. As Holly says, it doesn't have to be quantity. It's more about the quality. So if, you know, one person shares our message, shares it with five people, shares it with 10, that's how we're going to get our message out. But the authenticity of their message has to be absolutely genuine. You know, it's no good them sort of just spouting out things that we would share in our messaging as a brand it really does need to come from the heart and from that person mm. yeah absolutely um yeah really really glad you said that it's a great piece of advice well we're going to wrap up shortly but i just want to touch on one final point what with everything going on what advice would you give to the people listening um who want to do their bit and do something to help uh, whether that's in terms of engaging in climate messaging or anything like that at this time? Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be different for everybody. What, um, you know, will inspire one person might not work for another. So look for the things that you really care about and then find that on social media and see how you can get involved. I mean, for us, shameless plug would be voice for the planet. Um, you know, you really can go on to the website and add your voice. And we will be taking that to world leaders to show how many people care about, you know, the nature that surrounds us all that we depend on. And that's a really great thing to do. But if you want to help, perhaps, you know, volunteers or people working on the front line, people should do that as well. So I think it's all about finding communities that you're going to actually help to make you feel better if you are feeling a bit helpless or a bit anxious. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think as well, don't feel guilty to in some aspect continue life as normal in some ways. If you're passionate about could be anything from environment to sustainability, conservation, it, it might not be that, but it's okay to be part of these groups and still having educational conversations and still talking about these issues without feeling guilty that you can't have these conversations right now. I think these conversations are really important for stimulating us and making us feel mentally good. And I'm not just saying in terms of environment, that could be anything that you're passionate about just trying to have some normality amongst this absolute madness is important. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Um, Alice, Holly, thank you both for joining us today. It's been a great discussion. Thanks so much for Thanks inviting for us. us. Well, thank yeah. you for coming on. Yeah, glad, so glad we could make it work. As we've been saying to our guests, you know, I hope you guys, uh, you know, stay safe and everybody around you does as well. And everybody listening, of course, the same thing goes out to you as well. And a bit of solidarity we will get through this. Absolutely. Stay safe. Thanks, guys. And positive. Thank you for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please remember to leave us a review on iTunes because it really, really helps and allows us to bring you brand new episodes every single week. This has been the Social Minds Podcast with myself, Theo Watts, Eve Young, and produced by Ollie Thompson. <laughs>